And we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John. And we're getting towards the end of the book. And chapter 17, we call the High Priestly Prayer. We're listening into Jesus' prayer to the Father. And we're going to look at the very last part of it. This is what he prays right before he's arrested to go to the cross. And in this prayer, he first prayed for himself in verses 1 to 5. Verses 6 to 19, he prayed for his 12 disciples, the apostles. And now we're going to look at the end, beginning with verse 20 to the end, where he prays for all believers, including you and I. So John chapter 17, verse 20. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? This is God's holy, inerrant, perfect word. Please give ear to it. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will still believe in me, who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, in you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. That sends the reading of God's word. Let's, let's pray. O righteous Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us the great honor of listening in to this conversation. To the prayer that your son, the Lord Jesus, prayed to you. Father, we pray now that you would help us to understand, that you would give us ears to hear, and that you would guide my mouth, and that you would glorify your name. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you remember your first love? Your first love. Maybe you were in high school at the time. Did that person break your heart? Now, when we think about the first love, it kind of reminds us of the imperfection, all the problems that there are with human love. Because I'm just guessing that you did not marry your first love and live happily ever after. Right? That's generally very rarely the case. And even if that happens, you realize that marriage, even a, a good marriage, a loving marriage, it is only to death do us part. Right? And it's not just not just marriage relationships or romantic relationships, but think about all the relationships in your life. I was thinking about my college friends who I used to be so very close to when we were all living together in the same dorm and going to classes together, seeing them every day. But then we all kind of moved away and sadly, we slowly are not so close anymore. And I still care about them, but you know, we're not like we used to be. And that, that's just the case with human relationships generally, right? And yet we long for something perfect, a relationship that doesn't, isn't imperfect. A relationship that is perfect, that lasts forever, and that is full of perfect love, don't we? So if we're to experience a relationship, that kind of relationship that we long for, it has to be found outside of this world, it has to be found outside of human or normal human relationships, it has to be connected to someone who's perfect, who's eternal. Now in today's passage, we read these final words, these final Words of prayer that the Lord Jesus prayed to the Father before he's taken away, arrested, put on trial, and crucified. And he prayed. What did he pray? This, this prayer, it's an act of devotion, we can see, an act of devotion to his Father. Uh, Donald led us in prayer of confession today and the reading of the law about honor your father and your mother. And we can see how the Lord Jesus honored his father perfectly. But he prays his prayer for our benefit. Disciples were there listening intently. And we can imagine the Holy Spirit helped them to remember this prayer accurately. And so we get to listen in to this prayer. Amazing to listen to the conversation between the Father and the Son, uh, between the Son, the Son praying to the Father. And in this, we can understand the deep truths of the gospel. Now, you can be absolutely certain that what Jesus asked for, what he asked his Father for, he most certainly get, got, right? The Lord, the Father will give 
his son exactly what he asked for. So everything we see here that Jesus prays for and asks for, we can be certain that it will come to pass, that it will be answered, his prayer. And what does he pray for? In particular, he prays for all who are to believe in him throughout all time and all places. He prays for all of us that we would be brought into a full and complete communion with the triune God. So this is the main theme we want to see in today's passage. There's a perfection, Trinitarian perfection, relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is the destiny of all believers. Now, what do I mean by that? Because, you know, there are actually a lot of false religions that might say something similar to that and mean something very different. I think of the Mormon cult, for example, where they, they believe that we're going to, they believe that they will become uh, gods and have their own planets. Seems kind of far out there, right? Well, that's not what I'm saying. Or even in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they talk about deification, and it's kind of this idea that you're your being is brought up into the being of God and consumed by it somehow and such a unity. Well, that's not what I'm talking about either. What I'm talking about here is that um, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, we'll be conformed to the image of Christ. We call this glorification as well. We'll be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. And so brought up into this perfection. This is something that's actually, it's not purely a future thing, but it's it's something that's going on in our sanctification. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. And so the Lord Jesus is praying for this. So what is that, this Trinitarian perfection? So in verse 20 and following, it talks about the unity, grounds the unity, Grounds in the unity of the Trinity. In verses 22 and following, it talks about um, glory, the glory between the Father and the Son. And then the, the close to the prayer, verses 24 to the end, he talks about love. The love between the Father and the Son is shared with us. So first of all, in verse 20, there's a perfect unity of the Trinity is also the destiny for all believers. Look at verse 20 again. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may also be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So you notice that it says, I do not ask for these only. Who's the these only? I don't ask for only my 12 disciples, which he had been praying for previously, but rather all believers, all who will believe. So that includes us. And what does he pray for? For unity, for oneness, 
But we see that the unity of the church, it's not something that we can create through our own effort. Uh, It's not something that we can establish on our own. You know, we know from experience that we've failed many times in unity because we're sinners. That we have experienced the terrible effects of sin, of the fall. We've been separated from others. So if we're going to have unity, true unity, it has to be grounded in the unity of God. The unity between the Father and the Son, which is a perfect, perfect unity. There's nothing separating the Father and the Son. So what is that unity in the church? It's a unity in the gospel. Jesus is saying this and he's about to go to the cross. He's about to lay down his life for one body, one people. They cannot be divided. He's buying that unity with his blood. And this is what he's praying for as he goes off to accomplish that. So the unity in the church is a unity in the gospel, in the death and the resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. It cannot be a unity in any, anything else. It has to be in the gospel. And the Father sent the Son on this mission. They're in complete agreement in this mission. You know, sometimes people talk like the Son had to somehow convince the Father to forgive us. No, the Father sent the Son. They're completely united in saving this people, the church. Now, when we think about this unity, we know that sadly there are many divisions in the visible church today, aren't there? There are many different denominations, all kinds of them. And this, this should sadden us. But never, nevertheless, there exists a unity of all true believers in the church throughout space and time. This, there, there, there should not be a false unity. Now, you think about um, the Roman Catholic Church. They have this idea of um, institutional unity, that as long as you submit to the Bishop of Rome, to the Pope, that then you have unity. Well, no, because even within the Roman Catholic Church, there are all kinds of divisions. They don't agree about lots of things. Basically, all they agree about is submitting to the Pope. But they have very different ideas about God, about salvation, and many other things. So true unity has to be in the Lord, in his gospel, in his death and resurrection, in one Lord. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one faith, a one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So when we think about what is salvation, it has to be something that's not just between you and God, but it's something greater than that. It's something bigger than just you individually being saved. Uh, John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, he says this, The ruin of the human race is that having been alienated from God, it is also broken and scattered in itself. The restoration of it, therefore, on the contrary, consists in its being properly united in one body. Now, I have a, I had a mirror in my room, a big mirror, about as tall as I am. And one day, our excited little puppy ran in and bam, she smashed the mirror. <laughs> and the mirror came flying down and I was afraid it was going to like hit her and hurt her. Um, but the mirror shattered into many pieces, right? And we can think of this as kind of a picture of what sin has done to humanity. It shattered us into many pieces, right? Now, imagine if I was to take one of those pieces of the mirror, one of those broken shards of glass, and kind of polish the edges, and then put that up on my wall and use that. Now, could I say that I've fixed the mirror? No. That's, that's just not how it works. I don't know how you would fix a mirror like that, but it needs to be restored in unity together with the other pieces. And it's the same thing with our salvation. When you're saved, when the Lord saves you, he pulls you together, all those relationships that were broken. He pulls us together into a, one body, and a community. You see, that's part of our salvation. And so we can think about how, how does this apply? Now, if you're a true believer, you need to seek unity. Seek to be one with the church. You can't be satisfied to be just you know, tangent, tangentially related to the church. You need to seek to be unified together with your brothers and sisters. I know it's, it's hard, um, especially if you're more of an introvert, or maybe uh, you just find these people here to be very different than you and quite weird, and you would not naturally want to talk to them. And maybe you're just awkward, like me. <laughs> so you want to run away, right? I understand that. You want to run away after the service. <laughs> now, some of you are the opposite, and you like to talk, and I'm glad you're here. <laughs> um, but I really urge you, if you're like me and you feel like run away, please see what Jesus is saying here about the importance of the oneness of the church, of the unity of the church, of being 
together with one another. And, and it, it takes effort. You know, I can remember every time I moved, I went to a different church. And there's this period of time when you go to the church and then there's a period of time between when you first come and before you really feel comfortable there. And it doesn't come easily. It takes actually a lot of forcing yourself to stick around and talk to people and have awkward conversations. Um, but at the end of it is a great blessing. And it glorifies God. If you're a Christian, that should be your desire to glorify God, even if it's uncomfortable. And we have to be willing to suffer sometimes. But in this case, I think you'll see that it's a great blessing after you put in your time. Another thing we should think about is uh, when we share the gospel with people, when we do evangelism, um, we often think of it as kind of like individual thing. Well, I'm going to share the gospel with this, with my friend. But you should also think about um, how can you get them um, to come to church and be involved and see, experience the body of Christ. Because the passage here, it makes a connection between unity and the world seeing that Christ is sent by the Father. You see? So as we live out unity in our midst, we are a picture of the gospel, we're a picture that Christ is sent by God. And it shows people the truth so they can believe. Let's move on to the second point. Secondly, there's a perfect glory of the Trinity. Perfect glory of the Trinity is the destiny of all believers. Look at verse 22. It says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. So the glory of God, you know, we have this the slogan uh, that we say in Reformed Church, soli deo gloria, right? And it means, it's Latin, just means the glory to God alone. Glory to God alone, right? And that's true because only the Lord possesses the right to that glory, right? But what we see here, interestingly, is the glory gets passed down. You notice that in this passage? So if we want to think about um, how does this unity occur? How does, how does it work? You see that unity is associated with glory. The two go hand in hand. So here we're told that the glory is passed, glory is given from the Father to Jesus. And we think of Jesus here 
in terms of the mediator who has taken on a human nature. So the Father has passed down the glory of God to Christ in human form. And as the head of the church, so what really unites us is Jesus Christ and his glory. And what in particular, he's about to go to the cross, and the cross is the most glorious thing of Jesus. The glory of God is, it shines in the cross more than anything. The cross and the resurrection and that gospel, that's where the, the glory of God can be seen most clearly. And it's so as we see that glory in Christ as our head, we're united together. Now, Jesus here, he talks about kind of like you can think of it as an already, not yet to this glory. Because he says like, I've shown my glory to the disciples, right? And we can remember back in John chapter 1, verse 14, it said, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So there's a glory that is that comes with the incarnation, with Christ, with uh, the Son becoming man. We're able to see the glory of God in a way that previously they only saw types and shadows of. And as I already said, the glory was displayed so clearly in the cross. But there are weights for us a glory that surpasses even what we can see now. And this is, Jesus says, He desires that whom you have given me may be be with me where I am. So imagine the glory that awaits us. Brothers and sisters, imagine the glory that awaits us when we see Christ face to face in the new heavens and the new earth. How glorious that will be. The perfection of all things. Consummation. And perfect communion with God. Nothing separating us at all from Him for eternity. And that will truly, we can think about heaven will be a place where there will be absolutely no disunity in the body of Christ whatsoever, forever. Now glory, the true gospel has the glory of God, but this world, it often presents false glories or false gospels, or they can become a false gospel if we make them into an idol. And these, this is a ways that people try to unify. They unify around different kinds of glory. Now, a real obvious example, you can think about North Korea, right? With, they have um, the pictures of Kim Jong-un. And the, the Kim dynasty, they have a glory that's been attached to them. And this is part of the way in which the unity of the North Korean 
North Koreans has been established, right? Now, yesterday was the 4th of July, Independence Day for the USA. And we can think about um, the American flag, they call it Old Glory, or the Republic, we call it the Glorious Republic. So whenever people, uh, whenever a unity occurs, there's some glory in which people are directed to above them, something transcendent in which to unify them. So if, if in the unity of the church is accomplished by us turning heavenward to the glory of God, by experiencing the glory of the triune God. We have to look up above us all. You think about, um, we have the fireworks shows for 4th of July, and these crowds gather. What are they gathered to do? To look up, right? If you have a crowd and you gather and you look down, you're not going to be able to see much. Only a few people can see, right? But with the fireworks or something like that, you're looking up into the air, and then there's able to gather a huge crowd, right? And so it kind of is with the unity of the church that we need to look above ourselves to heaven, to Christ, to the glory of God and the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the glory of what Christ accomplished on the cross. When we do that, we're able to get past our, the things that divide us. You know, the book of Ephesians says that the cross destroyed the uh, dividing barriers, things that divide us, and especially talking there about the division between Jews and Gentiles. So this as we look to Christ, it should, divide, it should take away our divisions of race, of gender, the things that so often keep us apart. All the human things and ways that we, things that we use to separate ourselves from one another. So finally, let's, let's look at the end of the prayer. And here, verse 24 the end of verse 24 and following, he talks, Christ talks about this perfect love of the Trinity. It says, You loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So this, this blows my mind that there is a love that goes back before the foundation of the world. And... It is a love that is the love of a righteous father. Now, this idea 
of Christianity, that God is love, that God is a loving and righteous Father, and that he loves those who are his enemies, those who have disobeyed him and sinned against him. This, This idea of a loving God, it's actually completely revolutionary in history. Because it's only found in the Bible. If you look at any of the other religions, there's often this idea of, well, maybe God will love you if you make the right sacrifice, and then because you appease them, then they'll love you back. But no, here we have a God who is at his very essence is love. For eternity between the persons of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's this love, this eternal love relationship that pours out to us in salvation. Now, when we think about a father's love uh, before the foundation of the world, I think about my dad. Um, One time, (laughs) I was going through the drawers. I was probably in drawers that I shouldn't have been. But I, I found this old dry cigar. And this kind of shocked me because my dad's, uh, he ain't Presbyterian. He's very Baptist. And I've never seen him have anything to do with tobacco. Um, but I looked at this, I found this old dry cigar and it said, it's a boy. And what that cigar was, is, and I was probably like, I don't know, 12 or 13 when I found this. And I realized that this was cigars that my dad had given out when I was born. And it's still there. <laughs> it's completely, you would not want to smoke it because it was really gross and dried out. But I was thinking, wow, this is a little reminder or kind of tangible marker of my father's love uh, for me even before I lived, right? My, at my birth, he was passing these out uh, to his friends. He's sharing. He wants to, to pass on his excitement and his love. And that's how the love of the Father here is, is described in Jesus' prayer here, that it goes out. It's passed on. He loves his Son perfectly. And that love is poured on to us. And it's this love that it needs the world to know about. Now, when we think about before that God loved, God loved the Son, God the Father loved the Son before the foundation of the of the world. You know the um, the foundation of the world. It's talking about creation, right? And what was created? This earth was created, but time itself was created, right? So to talk about before the foundation of the world is to talk about before time, except for the word before is a time word. So what we're really saying is that the Lord has an eternal present of love, right? In fact, everything concerning the Lord, it's, it's, it's it's an eternal present because he's timeless. He's not part of this creation. He's separate from it. And that's why 
when, when he tells us his name, when he tells Moses his name, he says, I am who I am. I am. He's eternally present. So you can think about this love. It cannot, for that reason, it cannot change. It cannot lessen. So the fact that God loves you means he will never stop loving you because he never started loving you. He eternally loves his son. He eternally loves his people. And it is this love that is shared with the church. It's this relationship that we're brought into. You see, we cannot produce the love ourselves. We're incapable of it. We don't have it ourselves. We need to receive love. So we need to receive the perfect love passed down from God in order for us to love. That's what Jesus says in his prayer here. He talks about the love which you love me may be in them and I in them. So this love, the very nature of love is something that spreads, passes on. So we think about, um, a, lot of, a lot of us are teachers, we can think about your students. If you have a problem student, what do you think? Generally, what's, how's their home life? It's often the case that the students that misbehave at school are lacking love in their home, right? Maybe their father is missing or neglects them, right? So we can think about the church as the people. We have the most loving father. And so we, that produces, that should produce in us the greatest love. We are set apart to be loved and to love one another and to love love the world. First uh, John 4.12, it says, If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So how can we apply this? I think... You know, maybe you've seen um, on YouTube, there's this guy, Ray Comfort, <laughs> and I don't think is um, completely wrong the way he does it, but he'll go to people, and the way he evangelizes is he kind of hits them over the head with the law. <laughs> you know, he starts um, yelling, the, well, he starts telling the Ten Commandments to them, right? And... So the point of it is they're supposed to see their sin and see their need for Christ. And I think that that's, that, that's not necessarily wrong, but I feel like when we share the gospel, we have to also get across the love of God. And that's what Jesus is tying together here. The world needs to know the love of God because you know that the world already knows, Romans 1 says that everyone knows that God exists. 
Everyone knows that God exists, even though many suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They actually know deep down. But what we need to get across as we share the gospel is that God is a God of love. Now, he's holy, and he has a holy law, and that's why we need to be saved. But he's fundamentally a God of love. And so we must get that across as we share the gospel with people. That God the Father sent the Son out of love. And so when you share the gospel, I know myself sometimes I lose that motive of love. I want to win the argument. Or, you know, you get into argument with someone, you just want to be right. There's also an aspect of uh, pride there. But you know what? You can tell someone you don't, you don't, you don't know the answer to every question. That's okay. And you, you might even be mistaken about a few things. But one thing you know is that God is love. And that love is demonstrated to us in the cross in the most beautiful way. That God loved us so much that he gave his son for, for enemies, for people who hate him. And that's the gospel. So church, as we've seen, all who believe in Christ share a common destiny in the unity, in the glory, and in the love of the triune God. So with this in mind, here from 1 John chapter 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Our Father, our righteous Father, we thank you that we can hear this prayer we can read this prayer that the Lord Jesus prayed to you before he went to the cross. Lord, we thank you that we can be sure that you will answer it, that the church is indeed unified in our head, Jesus Christ. That's you have given us your glory in your gospel. 
and that you are a God of love. And Father, we pray that this church, that we will live out, that we would be the living answer to Christ's prayer, that we might be unified in the truth, in the gospel, that people might be able to see, that the world might be able to see your glory amongst us, and that we might love one another. So Lord, we pray all this in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.